just a quick note before we get into the episode. If you want to listen to parts of this story that didn't make the episode, head out to patreon.com slash Wally. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Wally. Also get access to bonus episodes and more. Now, let's start the episode. Hi, I'm Wale Emanuel, and you're welcome to episode one of season two of In These Moments. I hope you're okay. I hope people around you are okay. I hope you are navigating this really complex climate that we're all in at the moment. I hope you are healthy, and um, I hope things keep getting better for you and everybody else listening to this but it feels good to be back it feels good to be doing this again and i'm really excited the first story we're going to deal with this season is one that's quite relevant to what we are going through it's a story of um, a lady who survived the coronavirus who went through some of the really bad symptoms and and effects of the virus a few months ago, I was just on Twitter. I think this was in March. I was on Twitter and I was just scrolling through and um, somebody that I follow posted a tweet about how she survived the coronavirus, went into detail about some of the struggles of having the virus and dealing with so many elements that I think before then I hadn't seen such a personal take on dealing with the virus. So um, I read the whole thread that she posted. The thread blew up to have really crazy numbers. Right now, it has about 56,000 retweets and 253,000 likes. So it's something that many people saw. And like many people who saw it, it gave us a window into what it feels like to go through something like this to suffer the effects of this really dangerous virus. Now, I was really hesitant about reaching out to her because I'm always careful about jump in to say, hey, can I speak with you after somebody has gone through something like this? I was ready for her to say, hey, this is a bit too personal. I don't want to talk about this right now. But surprisingly, she was really down with it. She's a listener of this podcast. She really likes this podcast. She told me that she had many people reaching out, so many media houses that wanted to get her story. And she declined a lot of them, but she wanted to do this. So I really appreciate her for doing this. Toby Rachel, she's a journalist. She has a podcast called The Yellow Cup Podcast. You can check that out, where she also went into some details about some of the things she faced with this virus. But um, let's get into Toby's story about beating the coronavirus. My name is Toby Rachel Akinbadi. I am a journalist and a podcaster um, based in London, and I survived the coronavirus. I was born not too far in another country, though, in the Netherlands. Um, I was born prematurely. My mum actually fell down some stairs while she was in the Netherlands, and I was born. My family are pretty much based in London. Um, I did do some years in the Netherlands and I was able to speak fluent Dutch as a child. Don't ask me to speak, to speak Dutch now because I can't remember a single word, which is such a shame. I would love to be able to tell people I can speak three languages, you know, that would be such a great story. 
But um, yeah, London is my home and it has been for years. I'm 28 and London is all I remember. But being British Nigerian, I think is, um, or, or, and being black British is a valid hybrid, um, especially in my generation of millennials or just after millennials and just before millennials, because at times the country doesn't make you feel at home. And then I felt like going to Lagos for the first time, I would feel at home. And I did until, you know, I was in the airport and people were trying to scam me because just by looking at me, they knew I wasn't from Lagos. I hadn't even opened my mouth. I had my accent all like figured out. I was like, these people are not going to know what hit them. They're going to think I'm just one girl from Lagos and no one's going to try and scam me or try and take money. Like, I don't have to haggle. The minute these people looked at me, I was like, I thought you people were my country people. But, you know, no matter what, no matter where I am in the world, I kind of won't always fit in, but I fit in amongst Black British people. You know, you've got your Jamaican British people, you've got your Zimbabwe British people. And I've accepted that that is a part of my identity, being black British as a hybrid. It's the only place I don't have to explain myself and to validate how accepted I should be in that community. The first time to be heard of the coronavirus, like many of us, she didn't imagine it would affect her as much as it did. The first time I heard about the virus, I wasn't completely worried. And I think that comes in hindsight. I realise it comes with being in the West and the privilege of being in the West. And I'm ashamed to say this, but when you do hear of viruses, it's never really reached the West. I had a particular concern about Ebola because it was happening in West Africa. And I was very like, my heart is in West Africa. So I was paying attention a lot to that. But in London, especially like um, when it comes to London tur- tourism, when you see some tourists from Southern Eastern Asia and you see them wearing face masks in London and I become used to that. I become used to the fact that if someone was being a tourist in London from that part of the world, they'll be wearing face masks. So as if they were used to that. So the first time I heard of it, I think I Googled it and I saw uh, Um, coronavirus is a virus that has been around for decades but there is this new strain happening in Wuhan China I thought okay that's weird and then I went about my day I'm a journalist and that's my trade the virus started in January which was when I first heard it and I'd switched jobs from being a showbiz reporter to doing more political reporting around that time so in the UK we were more concerned about Brexit you know Brexit had happened 31st of January Brexit happened you know the world we're like oh my god the world's the world is laughing at us we've left the EU so crazy I thought that would be the craziest thing of 2020 I traveled twice in January. I went to Hungary and I went to Austria and I was planning a trip to go to Dubai um, at the end of Feb. By the middle of February, you know, this coronavirus thing was becoming more more prominent in my work. So I was doing more and more research. Still at this point, people were like, okay, just don't go to Asia. And I was worried because I was going to Dubai, which is, you know, kind of Asia, but not as the Middle East. So I kept checking, can I still go to Dubai? Can I still go to Dubai? I checked, I went to Dubai, I had the time of my life, but I was concerned by the fact that it was so easy for me to travel. Nobody checked my temperature. I was expecting you know, someone to check my temperature. I remember when I went to Nigeria years ago, my temperature was checked. So I was just like, this is weird. So I started to do a lot more research because I'm a nerd, I'm a journalist. By the time I came back from Dubai, there was more conversations, more conversations. People are getting worried. There was like one case entered the UK via Brighton. And I was actually in Brighton with two of my siblings on that day. So I was like, that's weird. I'm in Brighton as the coronavirus is in Brighton. That, that's not how I got the virus. For, if anyone's wondering, it was months before that. So I think that was like, it, it just crept up on us slowly, but quickly. Almost like when you're falling asleep, it happens slowly. And then all of a sudden, as I started to see how rapid it was spreading, 
I became more aware of how easily it could spread in London, especially, you know, London is a very busy city. So I became concerned maybe sooner than the average citizen who maybe doesn't read the news as much. But as I was like looking at the cases and how it just was baffling scientists, how like for me as a journalist, I like to find out answers. I like to talk to experts. Experts didn't know anything. I have an expert in my, in my immediate family. Someone in my immediate family is a virologist who could tell me not much because it was such a mystery. But all people knew is that there were these particular symptoms, two or three at the time. Now, now you know, there's more case studies and people are more aware of different symptoms. But my, my opinion and, and everything was definitely evolving daily. Like what I thought on a Monday was not what I thought on a Sunday. When you live in a city as densely populated as London, you share busy public spaces with thousands of people and the risk of direct or indirect contact with someone who has the virus increases drastically. Toby has some theories on how she caught the virus, but nothing definitive. I can't say for sure how I ended up with the coronavirus. And the situation in the UK is so dire with our healthcare system that a lot of people with the virus weren't tested. And I was one of those people, even though professionals had said to me over the phone, you know, you have it, but we can't test you. But for me, I probably got it in two or three ways. I work in central London. My office is based in Leicester Square. And there's loads of tourists going up and down in that area. Loads of people coming in and out of my office, public figures and stuff like that it's a radio station so it could have been at work it could have been on my way to work there were a few public figures who were confirmed as coronavirus who were in my office or they had contact with a colleague of mine who had contact with me there's a studio I used I was told that someone could come into the studio later on found out that they had the virus so there's so many different ways the last time I used public transport was on March the 12th on March the 16th or 17th is when I started to notice symptoms and even when I noticed those symptoms I didn't realize what I was noticing at the time it could have been through a particular public figure who I I can't name because they're quite well known or just a random stranger I started to first notice symptoms quite slowly and it's ironic because someone who reports on the coronavirus you would have thought that the first symptom I was like that's it I got the virus but it just I didn't know anyone with the virus at that point on a very personal level so it seemed very far-fetched and almost impossible to me that I could have it despite the fact I knew so much about the virus and how easy it could spread I still thought not me I came to terms with the fact that I had the virus maybe 10, 20 minutes before I called NHS 111. In the UK, you have to call NHS 111 if you suspect you have symptoms. They don't want you to go to A&E or to a doctor or anything like that. I was in absolute pain. Like for me, the symptoms were slow, but when it all hit me very hard, I was like, my goodness, this must be the virus. I'd switched on the news and I saw someone that I had contact with on the news with the virus and it just literally my I just went cold I was like I know this can't be happening days before that I had noticed that my glands were swollen for science geeks you know that means your body's fighting something so I always noticed when my glands swell it's a weird thing with me and I'm like oh my body's fighting something and it's gonna win usually I don't even get a flu after my glands swell so it's usually like my body fights off a flu before I even get the flu so I was like oh, you know my body's doing this thing as it always does and then I noticed a cough but this cough was just different than any of my other coughs. It's like I couldn't stop coughing, but it would be like this coughing fit like once every hour or three times an hour. 
and it was just like I just couldn't stop I'd be drinking water I just could not stop and it was like my body wanted to cough something up and nothing was happening which is what they call a dry cough I noticed that and I thought maybe I'm, I just have a cough there was like really weird flus going around in the UK like two months before so I had like two really bad flus in January so I thought oh my god am I getting like another really bad flu didn't really think much of the coronavirus um, the night before I called NHS 111, my body started to ache. I started to gain a really bad migraine. And even the fever that I gained, I was like, why am I so hot? Why am I so cold? Why am I so hot? You'd think I'm smarter than this. <laughs> but I was just, you know, like, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm sweating, I'm shivering. What is going on? I just put on something to watch. At this point, my, my workplace was already doing the working from home thing. So I didn't even think about, can I make it to work or not? I just had to get up, switch on my laptop. I think I was in denial about having the virus or not is when the pain became unbearable all of a sudden that I called healthcare professionals so they can confirm for me. I asked for an ambulance because I was struggling with breathing and they were just like essentially we're just like well you're speaking to us so call back if you are unable to breathe. No offence to my country, the UK, but it's really silly to say to someone call back when you can't breathe because I think if you can't breathe you'll be dead. They just said to me straight away, okay, you have the virus, self-isolate. They told me 14 days, but when I called again, I realised that that person had made an error, that I should self-isolate for seven days, and then the people that I live with should self-isolate for 14 days. I ended up self-isolating for 13 days anyway, because my symptoms went on for longer. I kept calling, the pains were increasing, like, please, can I see a doctor? Please, can I have an ambulance? The NHS was so strained that they deemed my case as mild. Maybe because people needed ventilators. I think in a normal situation, A&E would have collected me. I would have got oxygen assistance because I was struggling to breathe on my own. And I think maybe because I'm young and blessed, I didn't stop breathing altogether. For me, my experience felt very life-threatening. Um, it felt very touch and go. I've never been in an experience where I've been so sick that I wasn't sure if I was going to wake up in the morning. I would fall asleep, afraid to fall asleep. Like, I didn't want to, but my body kept shutting down. I'd wake up like, when did I even sleep? Like, my body would force itself down to, to sleep. It felt so bizarre that so many different things were happening to me. You know, my migraines were so bad. I also had muscle aches at the same time all over my body. I think on day four or five, if I remember correctly, the muscles in my cheeks hurt so bad that I, I struggled to like open my mouth to speak. So even when I coughed, my entire body ached. It's very lonely having the coronavirus. And I think there's something really frightening about losing your senses. For me, I lost the ability to taste and smell. And you would think, oh, that's, that doesn't seem really life-threatening. But it's just so bizarre. It's, it's actually really frustrating to eat food. You can't smell or taste it. It's really difficult to explain, but a lot of people said, aside from struggling to breathe and every breath felt like it could be your last, not being able to smell or taste, it does something to your system. It does something to your psychology. I had no medical assistance. I was told to take paracetamol, drink lemon water. You know, do you know how crazy that sounds? <laughs> When I got sick, I was in my parents' home, just me, my mum and my dad. I have siblings, but they were all in their own homes across the UK. I was with them and that's where I ended up being sick. And thank God I wasn't like alone or anything, like in a living alone kind of situation. They couldn't do anything for me apart from, you know, my mum would FaceTime me from outside my room. 
she would put food outside, knock on the door, run away so that I can open the door. It took me a long time to get to the door anyway, but I'd open the door, drag the food on the tray because I didn't have the strength to pick it up. You know, they don't tell you about how little strength you have, how everything feels like it just feels difficult to do. So dragging the food along, trying to lift the tray and then trying to eat, you know, that's all they could do for me. They would run errands. They made sure there was food in the house. I didn't, usually that's what I do, but I didn't have to, you know, do any of that. But I can't imagine how difficult it was for them that this weird virus that nobody knows anything about happened to me like almost at the start of March. There's more cases now, but I was the first case that I knew of on a personal level. I was the first case they knew of on the personal level. So it's like, you don't even know what you're supposed to do. How do you help someone with the virus? So I really felt for them. And then I'm their child. I might be grown, but I'm still their their child, you know? I think I went from denial that this was happening to just accepting it. And then I became afraid that I would accept that I would die, which sounds like an extreme thing to say, but it's my truth. I became very afraid that I would just give up that I would mentally give up and then my body would follow suit and then give up as well. So then I began to fight mentally. Like I left WhatsApp groups that were negative. I stopped reading, even as a journalist, I stopped taking in negative news. I blocked people who sent me ridiculous WhatsApp conspiracy theories because I noticed that even though I was already struggling with breathing, when I looked at things like that, I would struggle with breathing more. I knew that an ambulance could take between 20 minutes and 10 hours to get to me. I had read of cases where the ambulance took 10 hours to get to someone. I'd read of cases where people died alone in their room. I was like, that is not going to happen to me. So I was removing myself from people who could bring negativity or things that could bring negativity. I binge watched Skinny Girls in Transit. It's a Nigerian sitcom. Hilarious. I watched it from season one to whatever. I'm up to date now because I was like, this is funny. And I'm just going to pretend I'm in Lagos because Lagos is my happy place. You know, I have a church family. No one in that church family sent me negativity. It was banter. It was, you know, uplifting, even though not everyone knew what I was going through, but the people who did, you know, they were uplifting me. And I think For me, in the early days, it was really difficult because I was like, what on earth is happening to my body? I'm too young for this. I don't get sick like this. This can't be happening to me. To me being like, I'm going to give myself something to look forward to. I'm huge on travel. Like if I could be a professional holidayer, I would. And one of my favourite places to be in after Lagos is Bali. And I have a garden. It's very green. I said to myself, the day NHS say I can leave my room, is the day I walk downstairs, go to my garden and just take a deep breath of fresh air, if I can. <laughs> um, because that was something I couldn't even do. I couldn't I couldn't take a deep breath. It was like my lung capacity was capped. So it was like I could only take it from the top of my lungs, not the bottom of my lungs. I was very aware of it. It's very I could physically feel my lungs and how I was taking in um, air. So I was like, that is what I'm looking forward to. Every morning I woke up, is like, I'm going to make it to the garden and get downstairs, take a deep breath of fresh air take some pictures my god is beautiful i have like an apple tree a pear tree and i was like at this point they're probably blossoming and i was right by the time i actually escaped my apple tree was blossoming so it was going from winter to spring and i gave myself something to look forward to something simple something that you know i knew was achievable going to the garden opposed to giving myself something crazy to achieve you know giving myself something to look forward to really helped me you know on a mental side of things
as she was struggling with the virus, Toby noticed the lack of personal stories from people who had fought the virus and came out on the other side. She took to Twitter to share her story, hoping a few people would see it. She had no idea what have the impact it had. The response was crazy. Uh, I'm so glad that I put it out after I felt better and after I'd like left my quarantine. Otherwise, if I went through that while going through the virus, God knows what would have happened to me. But for me, I wanted, I just wanted two or three people to learn something from the experience because as I came out of it, all I could think about was how lonely and how uncertain it was. And I'm someone who reports on coronavirus. So you would think that I would feel more confident because I had so much information in my head. But irrespective of having all the information out there possible, I wasn't really seeing personal accounts. I see them more now, but at the time I put mine out, I, w- I didn't see any personal accounts. I didn't see people talk about certain things that they had gone through. I felt like someone out there in my circle could be going through this silently because I did it silently. So someone out there could be in their room, in quarantine or in hospital even just really confused so I just wanted to help one person I think I checked the like stats on the tweet it was 16 million impressions I was like wow there were so many people out there clearly going through this or they know someone that's going through it I'm still trying to respond to messages I had maybe an estimation of about 7,000 people messaging me literally I'm so scared this is happening to me I don't know who to turn to I can't find a doctor and I'll make sure I let people know I'm not a doctor but I want you to know that what you're going through I went through that exact same thing just do everything you can to speak to a healthcare professional but just know that I went through that it's not weird it's not weird to lose your sense of smell it's not weird to use sunglasses to read your screen it's not weird to think that you're going to die but just you know giving them encouragement opposed to doom and gloom that is in the news. I could admit to that as a news reporter, there is so much bad news out there. I wanted to give people good news. And essentially, I just wanted it to be one or two people in London, but it ended up being something very global. I was getting messages from people in Spanish. I was like, <laughs> I don't I don't speak that one. But, you know, I tried my best to translate and respond. But yeah, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. I asked Toby how she feels now and if she feared she could get the virus again. Today was the first time I stepped out on the streets. For 28 days, I've been inside my house, and I had to go outside. I needed to get some paracetamol. I needed to get some essentials from um, the pharmacy. And I stepped out. It took me so long to get dressed. I didn't wear like an amazing outfit or anything. It took me so long because I was like, I'm going to go out there to the madness of the UK. I didn't know what my town had become, what it looked like. Would it be a ghost town? Would there be loads of people out there? I wore a mask. I was covered up. I did everything, did the washing hands and everything. I acted like someone who'd never had the virus before. You know, I felt like I had more personal protection equipment on me than people out there. And it's because there isn't any clear-cut evidence to say that you can't get the virus twice. They say that I'm immune, but I've not had an antibody test. For someone to scientifically tell me point blank that I can't get the virus again. The assumption is that I'm immune, but there are some few anomaly cases where people have had it twice. And then some people say you're immune. There's not enough information out there for me to be like, yeah, I'm comfortable to step outside. So I'm just acting like someone who can get the virus twice. And I stepped outside like that. And there were people, my locals and neighbours who were outside without masks. And I bet they never had the virus. And I'm there having had the virus, most likely immune, but I don't know, covering up completely. You know, I was doing the whole social distancing. Someone got too close to me. I crossed the road. I was like, are you mad? 
it's because I've had it. I would do everything in this world to never have it again, especially because I'm still in recovery. Like the walk from my house to the pharmacy took me a long time. I'm in London, I walk quick because London is quick, London is fast, but it took me such a long time because I'm still in recovery. My lungs are still recovering and I feel it. I'm so aware of what my lungs are doing. I can feel every movement and I never really paid attention to my lungs in my life. And I still sometimes randomly get chest pains. About two, three days ago, I lost my sense of smell again, only briefly. And I have, um, there's a pulsing sound in my ear. I have a community of coronavirus survivors now. And then everyone has said, yeah, they can hear the pulsing sound in their ear as well. We did quick Googles and we don't know because we're not experts. Well, actually one person in the group's a doctor. Basically, it means that, you know, our airways are still a little bit obstructed. So I'm still healing. I don't have the virus, but my lungs are still in recovery. You know, my body is still recovering. I still sleep about three times a day. When I had the virus, I probably slept about five times a day. My sleeping pattern's a mess, basically. But if it means that I'm recovering, I'm happy with it. A big thank you to Toby for sharing the story. Most people wouldn't be as candid and as open to sharing as she was. So on behalf of everybody listening to this, I say um, thank you to Toby. Thanks very much. If you want to see more of Toby, you can find her on Instagram at Toby Rachel. That's T-O-B-I-R-A-C-H-E-L. And you can find her on Twitter at T-O-B-I-R-A-C-H-E-L with an underscore after the L. Also check out her podcast at Yellow Cup Podcast for more on her and all the things she's doing. Also, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and people around you. Let them know it's back with a new season. Follow In These Moments on Twitter at MomentsPod and on Instagram at In These Moments Pod. Also give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people come across the show. I'm really trying to build a community with this podcast this season, trying to get way more people to listen to it. So help spread the message. There are many great stories coming this season and I can't wait for you to listen to it. The next episode comes in two weeks on Wednesday. But if you're on the Patreon, you're going to get the episode the Monday. So you get it a few days before everybody else. Go on Patreon and subscribe if you're interested in that. But yeah, take care of yourself. Have fun. Be safe. Put on your mask and wash your hands. See you on the next episode. Bye.